Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Well, to this morning, I want to talk to you about your source of strength. One of my favorite things in life, and I've had to sort of curb my addiction, but I'll just tell you, there's very little things in this world that is better than an ice cold, in a can, Diet Coke. I want you to pop that thing open, the colder, I like it with it's half frozen and half liquid. Just that first little sip, and, and, and I confessed a few months ago, I was drinking like 15 a day. I got completely off of them. Now, I'm kind of drinking a few of them, but not like I was before, thank the Lord. But, but as much as I love Diet Coke, there's one way that I will turn my nose up and walk away from it. You know how you do it? You just pour some water in it. I mean, you just water down something that is good. And all of a sudden, something that I could just not hardly live without, I can definitely, I mean, is there anything worse than a watered-down soda of your, isn't it just, it takes something wonderful and makes it disgusting. Like, I'll walk, I'll just, no, no. Today, I want to talk to you about your source of strength. Now, I think all of us in the room, when you came to church this morning, if I were to ask you what, what is your source of strength? Or if I were to ask you, what do you think the pastor is going to say your source of strength should be? Most of you would probably say, well, he's probably going to say your source of strength should be, in, should be in Jesus. It should be in the message. It should be in Scripture. And you're absolutely right. But can I tell you, if you begin to water down the message of Jesus, you are watering down the potential and the potency that that message can bring to your life. One of the things that you may or may not know is that from the beginning of the New Testament church, from the beginning of Paul's writing, there has always been a, an idea by those not necessarily in the church, but those around the church to water down the message of Jesus, to make it more culturally acceptable and not quite as offensive to the people who may be hearing it. There were many people in Jesus' day and in, the, in Paul's day when he's writing who rejected the message because they rejected the messenger. Have you ever heard the phrase that you can't separate the message from the messenger? In other words, there are, certain, there are certain messages in life that might be good or bad, but we kind of reject them based on who gave us the message. Kind of like yesterday, my favorite team played and lost in college football. Many of you know who my favorite team is. My favorite team is whoever is playing LSU. <laughs> and yesterday, LSU won, which meant I lost. Do you know why I have such a disdain and borderline hatred for LSU? It's because as a kid, there were two jerks in our youth group. I would say their names out loud, but somebody might be kin to them, so I won't. But they were jerks. You ever met a jerk? Did you know that sometimes jerks come to church? I know they didn't this morning, but sometimes they do. And these two jerks came to our youth group every single week. And there's no better place for jerks to be because God can turn them and, and turn their lives. But these guys, I'm not sure Jesus ever did that for them. But, but, but I, so, 
I so disliked them that I got to the point where I disliked anything they did like. And guess what they liked? And there is where my disdain for that god-awful, ugly, and purple uniform comes from. I, I, I just can't separate those two messengers from their message. In the New Testament, there's a lot of people that could not stand the idea of Jesus being the Messiah, Him being our Savior and our Lord and our coming King, because they could not stomach the idea that Jesus was the Messiah. He came to earth too humbly, and He left in a way for them that was too shameful. And so they said, because there's some way we could just, could we just somehow crop out or edit out or cut out you know, the virgin birth and the crucifixion to make, to make the Messiah seem a little bit more palatable to our desires and to our ideas. And Paul sort of gives us an answer in verse number 18 of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. He said this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved... It is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through his wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demanded a signs and Greeks looked for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. You ever take just a moment and see what God's done for you? Just think of how you were when God saved you. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chooses. chooses. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one can boast before him. Father, I pray that today we would learn that our source is not in what we know, what we can do, or what we can accomplish in our own, but our source of strength is in you. Our source of strength is in our allegiance to your word, our allegiance to the unadulterated message of Jesus, and the person of Jesus in our lives. Lord, there's nowhere else, as the Apostle Peter said, there's nowhere else we can turn. No one else has the words of life except for Jesus. So Lord, I pray this morning that you would create in us an unshakable security, an unshakable foundation that's based on the Word of God and the person of Jesus in our life that will see us through every storm, that will cause the shifting sands of this world to land us on the foundation of Jesus. So help me to preach what you want preach. Help us to hear what the Holy Spirit of God wants us to hear. 
and we'll give you thanks for it. Everybody in the room said amen. amen. So let me just say this. The message of Jesus has always, always, it's not a new thing. The message of Jesus has always seemed foolish to the world. And how many of you would say that in today's society, in 2022, have you ever got the idea that someone thought you were a little bit foolish for serving Jesus and living your, your life according to the Word of God? You ever got that impression? There was a desire in the early days of the church for the church to move away from the message of Jesus, to water down the message of Jesus. Let's move away from the cross. Let's move away from the idea that Jesus was crucified. I mean, that was such a shameful way to die. Let's move away from the idea that he was born to a virgin. I mean, that is too outlandish for anyone to believe. Let's move away from all of that. But Paul says, no, 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 I can't move away from that because the faith we preach is not with, it's not with impressive words. It's not about the wisdom of man. It's not about pleasing people. It's about the power of God that only comes when we make Jesus presented plain and clear he is our only hope of salvation today you know there's a there's a large denomination today i'm going to get to the message in a minute but there's a large denomination today who i just i just read a few weeks ago that they are cutting out the entire old testament they are cutting out all the writings of the Apostle Paul, and they are editing the words of Jesus so that their churches will not be offensive to our culture today. And I just have to ask the question, since, since when was the purpose of the church to be socially acceptable or politically correct? Can I tell you this morning, the more we water down the gospel, the more we are watering down the potential for the gospel to change us. See, the gospel that cannot offend you cannot free you. The gospel that cannot challenge you cannot change you. And it is true that you can try your best to edit out and to cut out the parts of God's Word that you don't like. But friends, I'm just the kind of person that I'd rather be offended and freed than comforted and condemned because it's the power of the gospel that sets us free. Paul says... Our power is not with persuasive words. Our power is not by, by impressing you. Our power is found in the pure, whole message of Jesus. So we have to keep our life and our ministry grounded on the full message of Jesus, the full message of the cross. Listen to this one verse. I read it to you earlier. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's how imperative it is for us to embrace the full message of Jesus. It is the power of God. The last thing I want to do and it's embrace a religion that doesn't embrace the power. And the way, you, somebody wonder, well, pa Pastor, how could 
How could someone ever, how could someone ever rob the, the word of God of its power? Here's how you do it. You dilute it with the wisdom of people. And you rewrite it to make it conform to your ideas instead of God's heart. So how, how do I apply this today? You know, Greg, you got me kind of excited, but what, what do I do with this? Uh, there's a few things. Number one, I just came to tell you this morning, if you want Jesus to be the source of your strength, you cannot allow culture to create insecurity or compromises in you. For the message of the cross, it's foolishness for those who are perishing. In other words, for those who are not in love with Jesus, for those who are not, not embracing the Word of God as being the all-inspired Word of God, as, Timothy, or as Paul writes to Timothy, for those who are not convinced that it is, it is applicable for the correction, for the encouragement, for the leading of God's people in His church, for those who have not embraced that this is the Word of God, then friends, you and I have to come to grips with this idea, my life will seem foolish to those who are perishing. But all that does is it identifies those who are perishing. It does not signify some lack or some fault in the Word of God. Have you ever been told you're, a, you're foolish to believe in Jesus? I'll never forget the first time I ran into one of my high school friends a few years after graduation. He asked me what I was doing with my life, and I told him, well, I'm, you know, I'm on staff at a church and leading people to know about Jesus. I knew my friend wasn't a believer. I mean, we were friends. I knew that. But he looked at me, and he kind of laughed, and he said, I've been just trying to decide all week if a pastor can curse from the pulpit or not. And I've decided I won't. So you can use your imagination. But when I told him what I was doing in my life, he looked at me dead in the eyes. He said, you religious, and you just think of whatever cuss word you can think of. And that's what he said to me. And that was my friend. See, to the perishing, the message of Jesus is foolish. To those in power, to many of those in power in our nation today, what you are doing this morning, the fact that you got your family up out of bed this morning and you came and brought them to the house of God so they could be indoctrinated with some foolishness is foolishness. But can I tell you to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. You got up this morning. And just like you take your car to the gas station to fill it with power, can I tell you, you're on the other end of this building this morning, your kids are being infused with the power because they're getting the gospel of Jesus Christ. It may be foolish to the world, but it's the power of God. I wish I had more power in God. Get more of God's Word in your heart. Because for us who are being saved, it is the power of God. First Peter sa says, don't be surprised when you endure fiery trials of all different types because as if something strange 
were happening to you. But instead, he said, be encouraged knowing that the, your brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world are going through the same exact thing. But if you're insulted because of the name of Jesus Christ, the word says, blessed are you because you're coming under the same attack as the Lord Jesus Christ, but you will also find the same power that Jesus found will flow into your life because it is the power of God to those of us who are being saved. I love what Paul told Timothy. He says, this is why I'm suffering. Why? Why is he suffering? Because he refuses to compromise the gospel of Jesus. He refuses to water down the gospel. He refuses to cut and paste God's word to fit people's agenda. He said, that's why I'm in chains. He said, but I'm not ashamed of that because I know in, what's that next word? Whom? We should have to say the word out loud for me. Whom? I cannot say enough how much we must know what. Say that word with me. What? You got to know what you believe. You got to know what the Bible says. But that's not enough. You also have to know in whom you believed. Because when you're like the Apostle Paul and you find yourself in a prison, prison cell of persecution, whether it came from authorities or friendships or wherever persecution comes from, in those moments it not, it's not enough just to know what you believe. You've got to know in whom you believe because if you just know what you believe, the, the what's that you see can cause insecurity in the what's that you know. And the only way you overcome what you know and what you see is by knowing in whom you have believed. Because when you know him, you know the heart of him. It's just like if someone were to come to me and say, you know, Pastor, last week, your wife was like so cutthroat and almost, you know, borderline mean as we were playing a game of Uno. I would say, oh yeah, she don't play when it comes to board games and, you know, she, she don't play. Would not surprise me at all. Now, if you were to come to me and say, now listen, Pastor, last, last week, you know, at worship practice, at ladies' Bible study or whatever, your wife was so arrogant and selfish that she said this, that, and other. I would say, I don't know what you experienced, but it wasn't that. Because I know with whom I've been in a relationship with 25 years. And I know that is the furthest thing from her heart. That, that would not be her. I could dismiss the words you say by the relationship I have. The only way you're going to be able to dismiss the voice of the enemy is when you have a relationship with the God of the universe and you can say it doesn't matter what it looks like. I know in whom I am believed. I am persuaded. He will keep that that I've entrusted in him. I know in whom I believed. How, what, what's the source of my strength? Number one, I know in whom I believe. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've entrusted into him. My knowledge of him overrides the knowledge of what other people may 
say. Circumstances sometimes shout that our faith in Jesus is foolish. So you got to know in whom you have believed. The Japanese have this saying, says the nail that sticks up always gets hammered down. It's just a way they try to get people to line up and to fit in. But I want to tell you, don't stop standing for Jesus and his word because it is the power. It is our power. Number two, how do I, what was my source of strength? Where does that come from? It comes from discerning that any perceived weakness in Jesus is for my good or for my strength. One of the reasons that people were discounting and dismissing the message of Jesus was because they had all these perceived weaknesses of Jesus. I mean, he's from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Is what Nathan said when he heard about Jesus. He was born, uh, he was in the family line of David, but not the best family. He came in a way that was way too humble. He died a way that was way too shameful. Uh, shameful. All these, all these were, 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 were reasons for people not to believe. I'm pretty sure that all of us in this room have all seen enough to believe or not believe. And it's not because some of us have seen one thing and others have seen another. I'm saying we've all seen the same thing and we've all seen enough to decide, am I going to follow Jesus or not? The Pharisees always wanted a sign. Lord, if you would just do one more thing, then we might believe you. And yet, I think it was, is it John's gospel that said if everything that was written or if everything that Jesus had done was written down, he says, I suppose there's not enough books to contain all the miracles that Jesus has done. In other words, what we read in, the, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what we read in the gospel accounts, is, it's not everything that Jesus did. He was a walking, talking, miracle worker. Signs and wonders followed him as he walked through the villages, as he walked through. Every time he preached and talked with people, people were being healed. Miracles were happening, so much so that the gospel writer says, I can't even write them down. I can't even write down half of everything that he's done. But yet there's people who are seeing Jesus do all of this saying, would you just show us one more sign? If we could see one more sign, we would believe. Jesus said, I'm not going to give you any, any more signs except for the sign of Jonah. He said, just as Jonah was delivered into the great fish for three days, and then out, so will the Son of Man be delivered into the heart of the earth for three days before he comes again. Jesus began to give him this sign. And of course, what happens? Jesus did what he said he would do, and yet no one believed it. But yet all of these things that were perceived as weaknesses were actually for our benefit. We just got done with 40 days of communion. And so I know you have read Isaiah 53 over and over again where it says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we're healed. What are all those things? Stripes, chastisement, beating. These are all perceived weaknesses that were put on Jesus. They were all injuries that were put upon him. They were all... uh, Things that, that hindered and hurt him, things that would, that would skew the idea that
that he was the Messiah, that he was the soon coming king, that he was the God of the universe made incarnate with man. All those things are perceived as weaknesses in him. But yet now on the other side, we can say that, yeah, he was killed so that I can live. He was bound to a cross so that I can have freedom. We understand everything that was taking place in his life was not just for his benefit, but for my benefit. And I just want to say this to you. If all of those steps of perceived weakness in Jesus' life during those days, notice I said perceived, they weren't really weaknesses, but people perceived them to be. If they were actually the God of the universe working on my behalf, why wouldn't I believe that the God of the universe is still working on my behalf, even when I can't see it? Even when I don't understand what's going on. Even when I feel like the Savior's in the grave for another three days, He is still working. Number three, you have to realize this is big. You have to realize your level of dependence determines your level of power. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were noble birth. But God chose the foolish things. Thank the Lord. He chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. We have to keep our lives and ministry grounded on the message of Jesus or we will distance ourselves from the power of God in our lives. When I was a kid, I used to love the uh, the movie series Superman. Any Superman fans in the room? Right? Superman could do anything as long as he was far away from what? Kryptonite. The power of a Christian is sort of like that in reverse. Our level of power is dependent on our closeness to the Lord. You can think of another Superman in the Word of God. His name was Samson. And he allowed distance to come between him and the Lord. And so much distance transpired that the Word said eventually he lost his power. That He, he didn't even realize that the Spirit of God had, had left him. See, our strength comes from who we're near. Galatians chapter 5, verse 122 says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, peace. Patience, kindness, gentleness, uh, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Now, how many of you would just have a moment of confessing? No one's looking but me and everybody. Do you ever struggle to keep your joy? Do you ever struggle to stay in self-control? you ever struggle being gentleness? Yes, even when you're driving a car with other people on the highway? Do you ever struggle with being patient? If I gave you a 10-hour class on how to cure those things, I might, I might have some people sign up if I could guarantee the end product. But I can't do that because, see, those things are not, they're not the result of doing gooder, right? I'm just seeing if you're listening. They're not, the, they're not the result of trying harder only. They're the result 
Bible says they're the fruit. They're the, they're the natural blossoming of the Spirit of God inside of us. Just like you can't go yell at an apple tree, produce, produce, and make it produce. What happens? It has, it has to stay in the ground. It has to be watered. It has to be sometimes nurtured. But if it stays connected to what it's supposed to be connected to, it's going to start producing what it's supposed to produce. You and I cannot produce these things on our own, but they are the, the, the exact result of us planting ourselves into the person of Jesus. And He begins to produce out of our lives what we cannot produce ourselves. And number four, Megan, if you want to come. Remember, here's the last thing Paul says. Remember your source of strength that, that God is nullifying, exposing the lies of the enemy through you. God chose the lowly things of the world to dis- and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Did you know the enemy is lying to people every single day? Kids that you sit in class next by, next to in school, the enemy says things like this. There's no way you can come to this school and live for Jesus. And yet, students, every day you live for Jesus, you are nullifying the lies of the enemy. Right? Parents, there, there's, there's a lie that says there's no way you can raise your kids in church and live a life that pleases God successfully. But every day that you say, I'm going to follow after Him, I'm going to do Matthew 6, I'm going to seek first Him and His kingdom, and He's going to add all these other things I can't control back to my life in the needed arena. When you do that, ever, there's people around you. They may be making fun of you. They may be saying to you like that buddy of mine said to me, you stinking religious. But you know what's happened in the middle of their cursing you? God is speaking to them. Next time someone ridicules you you for your faith, I think we ought to do a little bit of practice of what we preach and say, God, thank you for that my life is speaking to them. They wouldn't be cussing me if my life wasn't talking to them. Right? God is going to use you to nullify the voice of the enemy. I would say this, chances are God is already using your current successes and sometimes even our failures. Right, the Bible says a righteous person never messes up. No, no. The righteous, what? They fall seven times and they get back up. There's some people that are watching you wanting to know, are they going to get back up again? And when you get back up for the fifth time or the sixth time or the seventh time or the 21st thousand times and you get back up and you serve God and you let him heal your life and restore your life and do things in you that's abundantly above anyone that, that you would ever think is possible every time you do that you are nullifying the lives of the enemy around your life see God I think God is speaking to people by the voice of the Holy Spirit every single day and he's saying something real simple like this Am I scaring you? He's saying this. Your life can be different. Your life can be different. 
your life can your life can be different. Your life, and the enemy's saying, no, it can't. No, it can't. No, it can't. But then a child of God shows up who's not compromising the Word of God, who's not letting the voice of people or the voice of this culture create insecurity. They're just serving God. They're clinging to the Word of God whether people are applauding them or not. And all of a sudden, the, the Holy Spirit highlights with His spotlight your face and your life, not because you're perfect. He says, oh yeah, look, I'm nullifying the work of the enemy. God is nullifying the work of the enemy through the assembly and cabin. Listen, I, I'm not so out of touch that I don't know that there's a lot of churches and a lot of preachers that do things in the name of Jesus that have nothing to do with Jesus. But that doesn't mean I'm going to stop presenting the real thing and the real deal in the most authentic way that I know how. Not because I'm perfect or I know it all, but I know in whom I believe. And I'm persuaded that if I keep following him, that he's going to do everything he's promised. Right? So I'm not going to worry about who's real and who's phony. I'm just going to focus on the one who I know whom I believed in. Right? He's my source. Not the opinions of other people. He's my source. And God's going to use our church to nullify the lies of the enemy to our community. Amen? I there's already been people who have sat in our chairs and said, I thought everything to do with Jesus was phony and fake. I never wanted to do anything. But, but there's something different in here. There's someone different in him. He's using our church to nullify the lies of the enemy. He's going to use your life to nullify the lies of the enemy in other people's lives. He's going to use some of you as an individual to nullify the lies of the enemy in your family. You are going to be the source for others coming to know Jesus. As you remember, he is your source of strength. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I know I've gone over my time this morning, but I've had guest speakers the last two weeks, and I noticed that both of them went over time, and none of y'all ran out, so I thought I'd try it too. <laughs> two questions, and we're going to pray. Question number one, do you know in whom you have believed this morning? Have you really made Jesus Christ the leader of your life, the Savior of your heart? Have you really allowed him to free you, set you free, change the trajectory of your life, eradicate your past and give you a brand new future? If not, I just, I would just say, your life can be so different. You may have walked in here with tons of questions, but you can walk out. You'll still have questions, but you'll know one thing for sure. You'll know in whom you believed. And today, you say, Pastor, I'm far from God, but today I need to be I need to get near to God today. Maybe you've never committed your life to Christ or maybe you did years ago and your life with Him has just been very dormant, but the Spirit of God is saying, hey, this is your day to draw near to Him. He's here and He's drawing you near. You just need to respond to that. Will you just lift a hand real quick? Says me, Pastor, pray for me. I need to give my life to Jesus today. I'm not right with Him. Amen? Amen? Who else today? In church, would you say this prayer out loud with me boldly today? Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for coming to earth to be my Savior. You lived a sinless life. You died a sacrificial death. And then you rose again on the third day 
so that I can have life and life abundant. Today I choose to follow you. Today I'm responding to your love for me. So Jesus, forgive me of all my sins. Cleanse me of everything that's not right. And from this day forward, I'm going to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you give the Lord a hand clap for those who are saying that prayer today for the first time? Listen, I've got this little disclaimer I give all the time. Repeating a prayer never, never, never changed anyone. But saying a prayer from your heart can change everyone. So if you said it and you meant it today, it made a difference. Number two, I just want to challenge you to say, don't be marginalized by the enemy. I want to say that again. Don't be marginalized by the enemy by believing the Word of God that works for others won't work for you. The Word of God that works for others will work for you. To the world, the gospel, the message of Jesus is foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. If you need more of God's power in your life today, if you want more of God's power in your life, understand He is your source. It's not people. It's not just what you know. It's who you know. So, Father, I pray you will take this congregation. Take us all deeper and deeper and deeper in knowing not just the things of God, but the God of the things. Lord, I pray that our relationship with you would bring about a new security, a new confidence in the things of God. And when those temptations and trials that would have caused us to stumble or perhaps flee in fear, God, I pray in the new moments of time that we will stand in faith because we know and who we believe and we are persuaded. God, I'm persuaded that you're going to keep everything that I entrust in you because you are my source of strength. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you give the Lord a hand clap for his word today? Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the Assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you are ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day and God bless.